You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome, all you wiretappers out there in the uh, year 2020. This is the first official podcast, Gangland Wire, and in the new year. You know, I, I stuck a few extra in there around Christmas, had uh, uh, three real quick right in a row for your Christmas pleasure. Did a couple on a particularly interesting little-known story about uh, John Gotti and the Gotti family and Sammy the Bull Gravano and, 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 and a policeman they had turned during that time, and I was even able to find a guy that was in jail with that police officer. We often we often wonder how policemen fare inside the penitentiary walls, and it seemed like this guy was doing okay. Uh, so, you know, would not be for me. It scares the hell out of me, but, you know, I, we all adapt to different circumstances. So uh, I want to thank a few people. I've got an uh, email here from Bob Horton. He's a longtime listener, and uh, he liked the uh, Skyjacker and the Berdella stories quite a little bit. Bob, I appreciate your getting in contact with me and letting me know that, that you like this. Gary Predelabon, another Gary out there. I bet he's at, at least 60 years or older. Nobody names their kids Gary anymore. He's been listening to the podcast for about two years or longer, and he said, what a great podcast you have. And he's going to watch some of my other shows that I've done on YouTube. You know, I, I put some of these up. Uh, ones I do with some of my guests on Skype, I've, I put them up on YouTube. Plus, I have that series where uh, myself and and my good friend, retired Sergeant Kate Kozel, went on a motorcycle trip of uh, hitting Bonnie Clyde sites all down through the Midwest, down into the south. Uh, this kind of Gary is an interesting guy. He's from Australia, up in the Northern Rivers country in New South Wales. He had been to the United States about, uh, he said, about 28 years ago. Didn't know if he's ever going to get back. So, Gary, I really appreciate you reaching out from down under. And we'll continue to keep putting these podcast episodes out. Here's another Tim Wegman. He's from uh, up in Iowa. He has been following organized crime, he said, for about 40 years. He even attended the last Gotti trial. Well, I think I, said, I think I mentioned him last time. Watched Sammy Gravano, watched Sammy the Bull testify. So I bet he was really interested in those last two podcast episodes that I had up. Uh, I thought they were really interesting. And my friend Steve uh, St. John, who was in the penitentiary with him, uh, we're going to get him to come back. Steve will make a nice addition to the podcast and give kind of the, I give the police side and he can give the other side. And I hate to call him a criminal because he's such a good guy. Uh, I guess that's for want of a better term. But uh, he, he has made the turn. And, and, you know, we've often talked about from out of the mouths of the men who did it. And uh, as we get him on here a little more and a little more every once in a while, why, uh, why it'll be out of the mouths of one who did it on one side and out of the mouth of a man who did it on the other side. So moving right along, you know, I'm putting this up in anticipation of my appearance on a live news show on Newsmax. It's on Thursday, January the 16th in the 7 to 8 p.m. hour. Uh, that's Eastern Standard Time. That would be 6 to 7 here in the Midwest. Uh, on that date, they're going to do something because it will be the 35th anniversary of when John Gotti assumed leadership of the Gambino crime family. And so they're going to focus on Gotti for that particular hour, is my understanding. Uh, I've talked to him on the phone a couple of times, and he's told me what he wants to talk about. 
Here's one thing that I want to talk about today to kind of get you primed up for that. This this will come out just before my appearance on that show. The Gotti family in transition, as I call it. You know, and and the one kind of event that, that focused a lot of our attention on this was the murder of Francisco or Frank, Frankie Boy Cali. He was killed March 13th, 2019. But that will be uh, just about uh, almost a year ago now. And the guy, the guy that killed him, everybody on Facebook and people were making comments and, and commentators were, were making guesses that since Gene Gotti had recently got out of the penitentiary uh, sometime within the last year or so, 18 months, he's making his move. He's coming. The Gottis are coming back. But it turned out that wasn't the case. You know, kind of disappointed all of us mob guys. We're looking for some mob murders. We don't have mob murders. We haven't had a mob murder in Kansas City since I don't know when. These guys finally learned, and even in Chicago, they don't have much. They finally learned that, you know, when you start killing people off, even if even if we used to say, well, they only kill their own, that doesn't matter, man. When they kill somebody, the government gets, the government starts paying attention. So um, so they have learned, and and in this case, they've still learned in New York City. The, the actual murderer was a man named Anthony Camello. Now, Mr. Camello was nuts. He was crazy. He had recently tried to arrest Mayor Bill de Blasio and U.S. Representatives Maxine Walters and Adam Schiff for being part of the deep state. I guess he was he was actually, I think he carried some kind of a sign about Trump when he went into court or something. He was a big Trump supporter, I understand. He, he's a strong believer in the deep state. And, and for some reason, he thought that Frank Kelly was part of the deep state, and he was out there really. He had some handcuffs, and he was really out there to make a citizen's arrest of Frankie Boy because he thought Frankie Boy was part of a plot to destroy President Trump. It was kind of slick how he did it. I mean, this guy was a, was a thoughtful guy. He'd make a good mob hit man. He needed to lure Mr. Callie out into the open. Now, he wasn't like a friend of his. He couldn't, like, get some some mutual friend to go get Callie to get in the car and go somewhere in a secluded place or he couldn't trick him into having a meeting in, in a house or someplace where there weren't any witnesses. And, and he, he couldn't even, like, hardly be in the same place where he was. And he didn't know where he lived. So he went over to the guy's house, and guy has a car. Frankie Boy has a car out in front, and he runs his car up against it and makes it look like he's had an accident. And then he tells him, he said, hey, you know, I've hit your car out here. And he comes out, and so now he's got him out on the street, and that's where he's going to try to arrest him. I, I, since he had the handcuffs, I would say it started out that way, but it must have gone downhill. Frankie Boy must have spilled a rat. Then, you know, I mean, I'm not letting this this punk kid put me in handcuffs. This is not, you know, this is not an FBI agent out here to arrest me. They don't do things like that. Uh, and the police don't do anything like that. Uh, send one young lone guy in freaking accident in front of a mob boss's house and then try to arrest him. Probably resisted. Kid pulled out a gun, popped him, killed him. Now, you know, like I said, we had all that supposition. So let's look at who is running and who was Frankie Boy Cali and, and who was he connected with. And he was, you know, what's, what's interesting is that He's part of the Sicilian faction that dominates the Gotti family right now. Now, this rise of this Sicilian faction was kind of a cruel twist of fate on uh, our friend John. Uh, I guess there's several of those um, 
uh, transcripts from the hidden microphone up there up above the Ravenite, Gotti would indicate to his consigliere, Frank Locasio, and to his underboss, Samuel the Bull Gravano, he looked down on these Sicilians. He indicated that they were sneaky and he didn't trust them. But he did take tribute. He did take a cut of the action from this lucrative heroin operation that they had come over here and got started. You know, with uh, John Gotti Sr. dead now, his son John Gotti Jr. has publicly left the mafia lot. His brother Peter Gotti is in jail. He's trying to get back out, and he's claiming that he's turned his back on the life. And Gene Gotti's the last man standing. He's out there. I mean, he did spend 29 years. Think about that, folks. 29 years in the penitentiary. You would be so far removed from anything than going on on the streets. I mean, God, they're all into computer crime. And as you'll see, the the Gotti family's been into computer crime and much more sophisticated crimes than when uh, Gene Gotti was out there selling heroin. But this is kind of these Sicilian dudes are the ones that brought the heroin trade to them. But, you know, Gene Gotti, he's, he's a stand-up guy. He never talked. And even when he was getting ready to get out at the end, he was offered, you know, you can go out to a halfway house for this last six months, or I'm not sure how long it was, for, but for the last several months, maybe even the last year of his uh, sentence. And they do that to kind of, you know, get people ready to help people find jobs and learn how to do a computer and, and get driver's licenses and, and, and get started. Because so many guys come out of the penitentiary, and women too, they come out of long, long hitches in the penitentiary, and they got nothing. Uh, they don't know how to drive a car. They, or maybe uh, they never knew how to drive a, drive a car, but they sure don't have a driver's license. Uh, they don't know how a computer works. Uh, they may not have any connections to get any jobs, maybe even any place to stay at first. So the halfway house is, a, is good for those, which is the majority of the people. There's not that many mob bosses with a whole big family and organization, primarily a, a blood family out there that's going to help you transition back. So he, he refused to do that, uh, kind of, I think, trying to be a stand-up guy more than likely. He also probably did not want to go through the motions of acting like he was trying to find a job and uh, do some kind of re-entry counseling. They probably would have forced him to do all that in the uh, halfway house. So it, it was probably calculated on his part. I don't think he was just being a stand-up guy saying, you know, fuck you, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm doing all my time. Now, how did these Sicilians get involved is, is my question. And it turns out, back in the 80s, Paul Castellano actually fostered a relationship with this group of Sicilians. But they already, they were distant cousins of Carlo Gambino, and two of them, John and Joseph Gambino. So we're going to mention their names, but just remember they're only distant cousins of Carlo Gambino. Now, Big Polly had he'd banned the sale of narcotics by his American family, but he he like John Gotti, he didn't mind taking a little money, and he was taking it personally on the side, which may is one reason that Gotti may have uh, uh, had some kind of you know they didn't catch too much heat from the other families for killing off Polly. They didn't like it, but he was getting money on the side from the narcotics just personally for himself, not for any, it was not distributed among any other family members. Uh, but these guys from Sicily, as you know, we've done other cases on this uh, uh, Sicilian connection, the French French connection, and, and it always goes back to the Sardinians and the Sicilians, people around the Mediterranean, who had the connections back to Turkey to get the opium and gets refined into morphine paste and, and then brought maybe to Marseille as in the French connection or maybe at least from somewhere in Italy. 
uh, anywhere, you know, Spain, anywhere around the Mediterranean, get it on a freighter and bring it to Montreal and then down into uh, New York or maybe to, straight to New York or New Jersey. They've got big harbors there, too. They were known as the Cherry Hill Mob because they lived all lived in a particular area called Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Now, feds had been looking at it for quite a while, and in 2008, uh, court papers named the oldest brother, John Gambino, as part of a panel who would take over the Gambino crime family after John died. Or just before this, 2006, there were some intercepts on a microphone where people talking indicated there, there was another Sicilian named Domenico Cefalu, C-E-F-A-L-U, who claimed to be the underboss at that time, which would be under this John Gambino, who was part of this uh, uh, panel of men. Now, Frank Kelly had always been the kind of the Gambino crime family connection to the Sicilians because of different blood relationships. We'll get into this. And how did he get to be the, the boss of the Gambino crime family? And since he had these connections with this powerful Sicilian faction, and, and they were part of this panel of group of men running the Gambino crime family since Gotti was gone and Castellano was gone, he was made the acting boss by a Sicilian named Domenico Italian Dom Cefalu, the same guy who had been claiming he was the underboss. So now, what's the what's the history of all these Sicilians being over here in in Sicily? How did they get here? In Sicily, there was this clan called the Inzerillo clan. They'd been involved in a violent gang war in the 1980s, and the whole family came to New York. And Frankie Boy Cali had married one of their daughters, and he was also the nephew of John Gambino. So he had these two connections. In, he was American, but he had these two connections in the Sicilians. So really, in a way, with Frank Cali running the the Gambino family, with you know Gotti crime family, he was really like a straw, the American kind of uh, front man for the Sicilians, who you know are are doing things behind the scenes. Cali had another connection to Sicily because his father, who was a Sicilian, had always maintained his Sicilian roots, and he'd maintained a business both in New York City and in Palermo. Like I said before, Frank Cali had always been kind of the go-between, the connection to these Sicilians over in Sicily for Paul Castellano. Now, in more recent times, just before Frank Cali got killed, he's now the boss by... Uh, 2015, this John Gambino, the Sicilian, was in ill health, and he was facing extradition back to Italy. And that's when Cephalou appointed Frankie Boy Cali to be the boss. Some pe- some sources think that Cali is not really the boss. He's an underboss or maybe a consigliere. Now, you know, a lot of these mob families, and they've done this in Kansas City and for sure done it in Chicago, with Anthony Accardo remaining the boss behind the boss, Paul Rica helped him before that. With Sam Giancana was out there, and Joey Iupa was out there um, as the boss that everybody seems to know about. But these guys remain in the background, and Nick Savella in Kansas City was the boss. But for a long time, there was a couple other guys still alive. Used to see them meet together once in a while, Joe Filardo and uh, Tano Lacoco. They were the old time mafioso from back in the 30s and 40s. So, they, you know, this is not that uncommon that they'll put a guy out there like Frankie Boy Cali and say, hey, here's the boss. 
while Italian Dom Cephalou from Sicily is really staying in the background. Because, you know, they, they were sick of this John Gotti thing, you know, the Teflon Don, the, the uh, Dapper Don. He's in the papers wearing these suits, walking around glad-handing everybody, giving interviews, talking to the press, you know, letting everybody know he's the man, uh, you know, the way he talked, what they caught him on the wiretaps, talking about being a mafioso. I'll be a, I'll be in the, I'll be a mafia until the day I die, I think was something like that. And talking about cutting people's head off and stuff. And, you know, the, those old time bosses, they kept, they stayed quiet. You know, they didn't talk about cutting your head off. They just simply indicated to somebody that you ought to go. They didn't wear those $1,000 suits. They didn't drive fancy cars. They might have a Cadillac, but it would be a, a tasteful Cadillac. Now, Paul Castellano had kind of a big house, but it was a tasteful large house in a gated community where, you know, it wasn't really, you know, he just wasn't out there in everybody's face all the time. You know, uh, another thing Gotti did that uh, these guys have changed up on is he made all his capos report to the Ravenite there on Mulberry Street once a week on the same day. Well, you know, it was pretty easy. You start seeing these guys that you hear rumors or, you know, they're crew bosses or you know for sure they're crew bosses from around and the other little social clubs in, in Manhattan and over in Queens. And you see them all come in the same day and they may take one out and walk around one-on-one and talk to him and and that's when they were like meeting people upstairs and go in, then they'd go upstairs into that apartment and meet with them one on one. And they figured out pretty quick who, all, you know, the whole structure of his family. Uh, you don't really need to do that stuff. Now, Paul Castellano didn't make a lot of his capos come out to his house periodically, but not on that regular basis. And, and which just is, you know, anytime you set a pattern like that, it, if somebody's after you and wants to do you in any manner, that's, you know, that's that is death man whether you're mob guy that's going to get hit or you're a mob guy that the police want to put in jail when they start setting patterns and doing things in a a, a methodical manner then it's easy to predict where they're going to be next and that's something you don't want to have done to you when you're a, a criminal you don't want to have anybody to be able to predict what you're doing next now back to these cephalus this dominico cephalu from Sicily as a younger Sicilian brother named Dominic and he's a captain right now or a capo in the Gambino crime family and, and uh, but he keeps a real low profile they say he's respected he's a candidate for advancement but you know uh, you never know because he doesn't get ostentatious he doesn't run, run around running his mouth I haven't really read anything more about him learned anything more about him uh, and and you know for somebody like to get promoted when he's a relative a blood relative of somebody that is a higher power in the family or in your organization wherever you work on your police department they get promoted for their personal connections just as much as they might get promoted for their skill because uh, you know that keeps harmony and it really assures loyalty when you've got a family member that you're bringing up it's like our underboss here for a long time Tuffy de luna his sister was married to anthony tony ripe savella who was the a made guy, and he was also the nephew of the boss, Nick Savella. There's another rising name in the uh, Gotti crime family or Gambino crime family, and he's another Sicilian, part of the Sicilian faction. His name is Lorenzo Manino. So right now, with the Sicilian faction seems to be calling all the shots, he would be a prime candidate, too. Now that, now that Frankie Boy Cali's gone, uh, Lorenzo Manino would be a prime candidate. 
Supposedly, he became immediately became the acting boss of the Gambino crime family the day after Frank Calley, or a few days after Frank Calley was murdered. Now, he has a long history in the Gotti family and is all part of the Sicilian faction. He's been involved in the heroin business. In 1988, he pleaded guilty to drug trafficking and in conspiring to murder another Gambino crime family associate, Francesco Oliveri. And he got 15 years in the penitentiary. And, and the reason this happened is uh, about this Oliveri murder is Sammy the Bull testified claiming that Manino and a man named and the two Gambino brothers, John Gambino, Joseph Gambino, and a Matteo Romano had killed Oliveri. But he, he didn't get that long of a sentence, and he was released in 2004 and resumed his criminal activity. So we all, we just kind of assume that the Sicilian faction is in control. That means they're going to continue to have a heroin business, which is going to be uh, a little away from, you know, they're going to keep that on the down low. But these Sicilians, they know how to keep their mouth shut and keep insulated from the actual business. Obviously, Gene Gotti didn't. I know we interviewed that uh, I can't remember her name. She's got a book, uh, Andrea Giovanno, I think. And her husband was a Peckerwood, and, and, you know, he's the one that helped all those, helped uh, uh, Gene Gotti get into the heroin business. I mean, you know, you're doing, you're, you're, a, you're a Gotti, and you're doing business with a Peckerwood. It just, you know, to me, it doesn't make sense. You know, maybe you get started with a guy, but then you somehow get yourself out of the middle of it where he doesn't know enough about you to, to put you in. Cause, you know, it, it's it's bad business, as uh, Nick Savella once said on the wiretaps. You know, I don't like fooling with guys outside the family. There's a couple other guys out there in the mix. There's a Joseph or Jojo and a Nicholas Little Nick Carrazzo. And, and at one time, they were... Uh, little Nick was actually the acting boss at one time, and he's been an independent entry, and he's coming back out this next year. His brother Jojo was once a consigliere uh, to him when he was the acting boss. So um, you never know. They probably would have the backing of there's a Captain Lenny Di Maria, who is not of the Sicilian faction. So uh, you never know. There, you, there may be other new blood out there that's wanting to move up, but I don't think they're crazy if they try to move up in a rambunctious public manner. Uh, I think probably somebody will slide in. They'll make deals so everybody's happy and, and they're happy with the management, which is the way a good mob family works, in my opinion. So any of you mob guys listening out there, you know, don't be killing each other off trying to get to the top. You know, make a deal. Let somebody be the out-front boss. Let some real old guy or two be the boss behind the scenes to run by any really important things and see if it should be done or not, if it's going to, how much heat, everything needs to be looked at and how much heat is it going to draw on the family, everything. And then quietly have some cutouts out there, some associates, who then get some really good pieces of action going, maybe pull some, try to pull some strings and connect them up with other families, cooperate a little bit. And, and uh, you can make some money and have your crime family and have your uh, social club and play the godfather and have a bunch of fun and not go to jail and maybe make a little extra money all along. You never know. Skinny Joe Merlino, he seems to, he seems to have that down. He, he did, uh, he just got out of jail, uh, recently and, you know, he's, uh, he formed a, a, a deal with that, uh, Patsy, um, I want to say Pasquale, 
they were doing some kind of extortion thing down in Florida. I did a, a show on that, and I can't. I'd have to look up all those details. But but here, there's a guy that's a uh, he's a little bit flamboyant, but he doesn't try to be, and he's cooperative. He's quiet. He he does his time. He cops a plea and does his time, and he forms partnerships with other people. That in that case, they had. You know, there was a guy that was so far down the totem pole from him and was was a pretty shaky witness that they had in uh, that informed on everybody. So they got some wiretaps. But he's smart enough to to stay off the phone, too. I don't know. It's uh, but I guess you got to get on the phone. Uh, But that's um, so that's where we are. And and be sure and listen for me on uh, this Newsmax show. And I don't even know how you get it. God didn't tell me how you get it. It's on cable stations. So, uh be uh wednesday the uh january the 16th uh, 7 to 8 eastern standard time and i will be there now if you have a problem with drugs or alcohol make your first call to first call call 816-361-5900 if you're in kansas city uh, i just like to do that little public service announcement because uh, recovery and drug addiction and, and all that are, are uh, you know part and parcel of uh a lot of our social ills in, in the United States, and I just feel strongly about that, and that's why I do that. So I'm going to keep doing it. I just completed my new movie, Brothers Against Brothers, The Savella Spiro War. We uh, premiered it at the Kansas City Mafia Film Festival, November the uh, 15th and 16th. We're talking about doing a Mob World Summit next July here in Kansas City. I think maybe we're going to try to do it in connection with a a local cigar store they have programs anyhow i'm going to get hold of the cigar store guy and see if he would like to to host that and and uh we'll have some mothbarthers come in and and do some programs and you can smoke cigars while you're doing it and they even have whiskey people come in too i understand so you can get uh get uh what do you call those free samples they give you a little a shot or a half a shot of of whiskey i don't know <laughs> as most of you a lot of you know i don't drink anymore but uh but uh you know, I know it is a lot of fun for a lot of people, and uh, but well, we'll, the more will be revealed about that. Um, Larry Henry, you know, he blogs for the Mob Museum. We talked about the the movie Mob Town. Talked a little bit about my movie. So if you want my movie, it's on. You can rent it for the standard definition is only a dollar ninety nine. You have to look at the tab under other options, or the high definition is two ninety nine. You know, I get about half of that, so that's a nice way to support the podcast. Tell your friends about it. It's a, I, I, I'm proud of the movie. I think it's exciting. It's an interesting story. It's about how the mob works and how the police work, really, from insiders' viewpoints. we got my friend Steve St. John's in it, although uh, 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 you can't really tell. He's playing a cop in, in one scene, and, and he's playing a, uh, a criminal in another scene who's selling drugs. So... Uh, uh, you just have to watch it and see if you can pick out my friend Steve St. John. I got my book, Leaving Vegas, How FBI Wiretaps Ended Mob Domination of Las Vegas Casinos. And I recommend you get the Kindle version because I've hooked up the uh, actual audio from the wiretaps to many sections in the book. We got my original movie, Gangland Wire, which is kind of the backstory behind the movie Casino. Uh, got my Kansas City Mob Tour app, which uh, during my film festival I had, they had an article here in the paper, and man, I, <laughs> they were downloading the heck out of that, which uh, kind of helps. I got to pay some money each month to keep it up, which keeps that, keeps me broken, breaking even, on, keeps me breaking even on that, which, you know, folks, I break even pretty much. Uh, uh, if we get, I don't have any ads, you notice, but I do have uh, 
uh, enough of you supporters out there that that make donations or uh, on my webpage or hit me up on my Venmo app, buy me a cup of coffee or a shot and a beer on my Venmo app, and uh, that keeps us breaking even and being able to invest a little bit in like like that mob movie because I had to put out some money out front on that. Slowly but surely, I'm getting that back because of uh, uh, of this podcast, and I appreciate all your support out there. Good night, folks. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.